Well, hey, my name is uh, Taylor Long. Um, I'm part of the, the Mission Point family. Um, my wife and I have been. So I'm, I'm just honestly thrilled to be here with you guys, um, just to have the opportunity to, to dive into God's word with, with his people, with you know, my church family. It's just, it's awesome. Um, love, love having this, the chance to get together and, and look at what God has revealed um, to us about Himself, and so I, I get the chance to continue on in our series, um, summer summer psalms. You know, the the alliteration just rolls uh, rolls right off the tongue. Um, it's perfect for the summer, and uh, just love the psalms in general. Uh, the book of Psalms, when you look at it in your Bibles, it's one gigantic book, um, but really it's a it's a collection of, of different writings, um, songs, words that were were written um, just in praise and prayer. Um, it's just a lot of uh, pictures of people just being honest, speaking honestly in whatever situation. I mean, there, there are lots of different authors, lots of different circumstances surrounding each psalm. Um, and so it's just, it's cool to, to dive into that. And, and we can know and uh, we see that, that, you know, each psalm, while the, the people are walking through different situations, it speaks to, speaks to God, um, speaks to who he is and what he's doing. And so we know that uh, whatever situations or circumstances that are surrounding you in life, um, there's a psalm out there that relates to that, that can speak to what you're walking through, but then it also speaks to who God is um, and what he's doing in the midst of that. So this morning, we are going to walk through the, the, the Psalm uh, 62. All right, we're gonna walk through Psalm 62. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, whether that's in book form or app form, um, go ahead and meet me there in Psalm 62. Um, as you're getting there, I'll give you just a little bit of context just so that, you know, we kind of understand what's going on. This is a, a Psalm of David. Um, so yes, the, the David you read about in the old Testament, King of, King of Israel, um, who, who kills, uh, who slayed the giant and Goliath. Um, he's the one that wrote this. Um, he's, he wrote this and he wrote it as a song. It was meant to be, to be sung, to be used for praise and worship there in Israel. Now, as far as what's going on surrounding him, um, we're not really sure. I'd, I'd say there's not really a, a consensus on, on the circumstances surrounding David as he writes this psalm. There is the, the probably the more popular belief would be that he's writing this in the midst of Absalom's coup or rebellion, which probably sounds a little familiar because just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kondo spoke about a psalm that we know was in, was written in the midst of that. He did a great job retelling that story um, very eloquently, way better than I could. So if you, you're more interested in that event, check that out on YouTube. But to make a, a long story short, uh, Absalom, David's son, decides he's had a, kind of a, enough of his dad and, and he's ready to take the throne. So he tries to, to use some deception, um, try and flex his muscles, his power, and try and take the throne from his father and it you know, doesn't end well for him, doesn't end on his side. That's kind of the story. That's the, the popular belief on maybe what's going on. But like I said, there's not, we don't know that for certain. Um, so that's just an, an idea. But this psalm is different. It's different than a lot of other psalms. Where, where most psalms, you start with a problem, a grievance, some sort of issue in the beginning. Um, and then it works through it and by the end you have a solution. This psalm is a little different in that it, it just exudes confidence 
all the way through. You see here that David has confidence the entire time he's writing. And don't worry, there's going to be issues, words to his enemies. But even in the midst of that, he has this just sort of unwavering confidence as he writes these words. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read. I'll read the psalm in its entirety. Um, and then we'll just dive, dive right on in. So Psalm 62, verse 1. I have the uh, CSB. I don't know if there's any Bible translation people out there. So here we go. Verse 1. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor. Important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression, false hope and robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I've heard this twice. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. So David starts off this psalm by making some, some statements, some, some observations and some declarations, right? He says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. And then in verse two, he, he begins to kind of describe God. He describes God. And he uses really three terms that we're going to see that are, that are common throughout this Psalm, the first one is rock, is a rock. He says, he alone is my rock. Now, what David is, is getting at when he says rock is, is this, this natural, um, natural, stable place of protection. It's a secure location that provides protection. Instead of some man-made structure that's a little bit shaky, he, he thinks of a natural and secure place for protection. And, and now let's, let's remember a little bit. I found this interesting just to think about David being a man when, when he was prophesied as king or to be king, uh, Saul eventually doesn't like that idea. So Saul kind of goes after him. David goes on the run and, and David lives in caves, spends time in caves for protection. He, li- he literally lives in rocks to find protection. He, un- he understands what a rock can do to provide a secure location to provide protection. And he, even in the midst of that, he says, yeah, I lived in the rocks. I found the rocks secure, a secure place, but ultimately God was, was my rock. So that's the first one. He describes him as a rock. And then he describes him as my salvation. Okay. And when he salvation, deliverance, victory, that is who he's describing God as he's, he's emphasizing here, the help that God provides his people in the midst of difficult situations. God provides that help for people in the midst of of difficult times, difficult situations. He's their deliverance, their victory out of that. And then he says stronghold. And when he he mentions stronghold, this could also be like a fortress or a defense. He's he's 
probably has an image of, of a high rocky wall that would provide complete surrounding or complete protection on all sides. He's emphasizing kind of the stable protection that God gives in those needs, those who need it, excuse me. But when you put all these together, we have a, a secure location, a stable protection and help in the midst of difficult situations. And, and ultimately he's pointing to emphasizing God as the reliable hope for his people. God is the reliable hope for his people. Not, nowhere else, nothing else. It's God who is reliable, trustworthy, unshakable for his people. And it's because of that, because of, because of who, he, who God is, who he has explained God to be, that he will never be shaken. He says, I, I will never be shaken after explaining all of that. That's where his confidence comes. His confidence comes from who God is. He grounds it in who God is, what he has done for him in the past, and who God has promised to be in the future. And in that confidence, David finds rest. He says, I, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He, this rest is not necessarily like a lack of human activity, but it's the idea of, of looking to, leaning on, and hoping in the Lord. His, his confidence pushes him to, to express patience. Right? The ESV translated as he waits in silence. He has this, this patience about him to, to rest and let the Lord do his work. See, David here is, is resting, finding his security in God alone because of who God is. And then David turns his attention in verses three. He turns his attention to, to his enemies. He says this to them. He says, how long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths. They curse inwardly. He looks at his enemies and he marvels. He's like, really, how, how long are we going to keep doing this? You keep threatening, keep attacking. How, how long is this going to go on? Are just going to continue to do this? What's going on? And they can continue to attack even at his most vulnerable times. When he's the most vulnerable, these people are attacking, threatening, lying, deceiving, blessing with their mouths, but inwardly they're scoffing at him and cursing. And what I found odd, I get me, I found this odd as I studied this, was, was David goes from, I will never be shaken in verse two, right at the end, to the very next verse, he describes himself as a tottering fence and a leaning wall. He goes from, I'm never going to be shaken to, uh-oh, I'm leaning one way or the other. I'm not sure I can, can take this. I just found it odd. I, and I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, am I reading this right? Is he really describing himself? Is he describing somebody else? What's, what's going on here? And I think, I think what David is doing here is he's, he's giving us a dose of reality. He's giving us a little dose of reality. He's showing us that, that he still feels the effects of adversity. He still, he still feels it. He's got people lying, deceiving, right? Being fake to his face and then going and turning around and, and cursing behind his, his back. 
And he's saying, like, he still feels that. He still feels the vulnerability that comes from the frustrations and the the hard parts, the hard parts of life. He's not just immune to it. He's giving us the dose of reality that, you know what? The hard parts of life, they sting. They hurt. We feel those things. And and we, we see this elsewhere in the scriptures, I think. Like, I thought of Luke 6. If you go to Luke 6, um, at the end, Jesus talks about a man who, who's building a house. Um, you, might, you might have sung a, sang a song in Sunday school about it, but, but he's building a house and, and he digs deep and he builds his house on the rock. A nice, solid foundation. But then you keep reading on and you see that the flood still came. The flood still came. The storm still shows up. Just because the man dug deep, built his house on the rock, doesn't mean... He didn't have to experience the flood. He didn't have to uh, deal with the storm. It still showed up. He still had to, to deal with that. I think here our vulnerability is not eliminated. We still feel those things. The, the difficult parts of life are going to come. And, and yes, we're going to feel those things. But our stability is strengthened in the Lord. While David is, is vulnerable, feeling vulnerable, feeling the sting of, of this difficulty, he remains confident. And his confidence is not in himself, but it is in God alone. And while his enemies continue to do their thing, he continues to be confident in the Lord. I think one of the, the common questions I have when I, when I walk through these situations in the scriptures is how. Because we all know when, it, when life is difficult, it, becomes difficult to have confidence and you're trying to do your own thing. So my question to David is, is how, like, how are you doing this? How are you remaining so confident, so unwaveringly confident in the Lord in the midst of this difficult time? And I think we're, we're lucky because I think David here kind of models for us what he does. So if we, we look in verse five, it says this, he says, rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. So now when when we first read these verses, you you notice that it might feel a little deja vu because it sounds very similar to verses one and two, doesn't it? It's almost like a mirror. He's, he's describing God as his rock, his salvation, his stronghold. He says again that I will never be shaken. He adds in there that God is his hope. And his salvation and glory depend on God. But, but the modeling, I think, the difference comes in verse 5. See, in verse 1, he's making an observation. He's looking at his own soul and heart and saying, yeah, I am at rest in God alone. He makes that observation about his own self. He sees it. But then in verse five, he starts out with a command. He says, rest in God alone, my soul. He, he actually looks to his own soul, his own heart, and commands it and tells it to rest. He gives himself something to do. He, he ultimately sets out to remember. He wants to remind his heart, remind his soul of who God is what he has done for him in the past and who he has promised to be in the future. Looks at his own heart, says, hey, rest, rest in him. 
He is your rock. He is your salvation. He is your stronghold. And I love how he, he almost personalizes this, right? Throughout this, throughout this psalm, he never says he is a rock or a salvation. He says he's my salvation. He is my rock and my stronghold. He personalizes it because he's experienced it and he's, he's read who God is and he knows who God has promised himself to be in the future. He reminds himself to rest, reminds himself of who God is. And this is something we see throughout the scriptures. We see it all throughout the scriptures. We go back all the way to Genesis, right? With, with Noah, God gives, gives a sign for people to look at, to remember what he has promised to do. Right? We could go to Numbers where, where the, the Israelites decided, um, hey, let's not go into Canaan because those guys are, are big. And even though we've got God on our side, I don't, I don't know what we should do. And you know, then God says, all right, well, then the next generation is going to get to go in. Um, and he actually then sets up this tassel system for the next generation to remember who he is. Sets it up to, for them to remember his covenant, his promises. Jesus does this, right? In the Last Supper with his disciples, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He's constantly, we, we see that God is constantly setting up reminders, whether it's a festival, a Sabbath, some sort of sacrifice in the Old Testament. We see it, remember, remember who he is. And that's, that's what they're all pointing to. They're all pointing to who he is. We're not remembering those things or those instances, but we were remembering who is behind it. And that's what David is doing here. That's what he's showing. He's, he's reminding his soul, hey, your salvation, your glory, your honor, your deliverance, it all depends on him. It's not anything else, not, the, not anything he can do. It's all on, it's all on him. And so I guess the, the question I have for you really quick, just to think through is, is how do you best remind yourself of who God is? How do you best remember who he has been, who he is, and who he has promised himself to be? Some people might be singing. Singing just stirs your heart, stirs your affections for Jesus in a certain way that, that just reminds you. It might even be a specific song. Like for me, we literally just sang the song that that stirs my affections in, in a way that no other song really does in Christ alone. Whenever I sing that, my mind is automatically reminded of who God has been and my affections stirred and my rest and trust is pointed to him. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's not necessarily singing. Maybe it's like devoted time in prayer. You spend time speaking with him, being with him, praying. Maybe, maybe that's how you best Remember, maybe it's fellowship, being with his people or studying his word, what he has revealed about himself. I don't know what it is for you, but I I challenge you to think through that and use that. Remind yourself who he is. And then he, uh, David continues on and he starts to speak kind of to everybody else. And I think by extension, he starts to kind of speak to us a little bit. Um, and give us our almost application points per se. But in verse eight, he says this, he says, trust in him at all times, you people, pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And, and so I'm at, we're gonna pause here because I think uh, at least the first half of that 
first line in verse 8, trust in him, is the first one that he gets at. He, he models remembering, looks internally, and then he, he looks to everybody else and says, trust in him. And if you looked at the context, the, the six verses just above, he uses the word alone four different times, all referring to the Lord. And so I think we can add trust in him alone. And this means placing your faith, your trust, your hope, your rest in nothing else but him. There was only one safe recourse. There's only one safe place to go in the midst of difficulty. And that is to trust in him. And I know that might seem really simple. Right, like that should go without saying. Almost, I know some of you are thinking, "Well, this guy's an elementary teacher. Like, we can't get any deeper with him." Um, but if we're honest, we are really good at, at placing our, our faith, our security, our stability in other things. All the while, telling ourselves, "No, I'm, I'm resting in God. I'm looking. I'm looking to Him and Him alone." And David, knowing this, kind of gives us. I think he mentions two very common things that we look to outside of the Lord. He doesn't give us an exhaustive list, but he gives us two examples. So if you look with me in verse nine, he says, common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion together on a scale. They weigh less than a vapor. See right here. I think David is actually speaking towards uh, your, your social status. Your, your reputation, building up some sort of status or power for yourself. He says, don't, don't look there. He's like, common people are, are low born, low rank, the low people on the totem pole. They're, they're just a vapor, a puff of air, a breath. And then important people, you know, the, the high people, the, the people that are at the top, that's an illusion. That's a delusion. That's just something going on in their minds. And then I love how he says, hey, let's put them together. Let's put these two important people, you know, common people. Let's put them together and weigh them. And together they weigh less than a vapor, less than a breath, less than a puff of air. He said, don't trust there. Don't look there because they carry no weight. They're fleeting they go with the wind, your social status, your reputation, the personal power that you can attain. It's all fleeting. It's unstable. It's a false sense of security that can be changed in a second. One wrong move, sometimes even the right move that rubs the wrong, the, the certain people the wrong way. And you're back at the bottom. Place no trust in those places. They're unstable. They're not like the Lord. And then in verse 10, he, he kind of shifts from social status to something else. He says, place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. He says, place no trust basically in your riches, in your possessions, in your money. Place no trust in oppression or extortion, kind of the, the manipulation of other people in order for your own personal gain. Don't, don't place your trust in your own savviness to kind of manipulate others. Don't, don't do that. 
Then he says, place or, or false hope in robbery. Straight up theft is what he's talking about. Your, your own ability to take from somebody else. Don't hope in that. Don't look there. And he says, if wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. Notice he didn't say that the increase of riches was, was bad inherently, but it was the setting your heart on it that you are to stay away from. And the scriptures speak time and time towards this, right? They speak time and time towards our, our disposition towards money and wealth, right? The, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? We can so easily find ourselves falling into the trap of looking to, of hoping in our financial security and wealth. And that's where we find satisfaction. That's where we find stability. But really we know it just takes one bad investment, right? One, one wrong turn and it's flipped upside down and it's changed. It's fleeting and unstable. And again, I mentioned that this, isn't an, this is not an exhaustive list that he gives us. There's others like, like maybe you're, you're pouring uh, yourself into your career. You're finding stability and building up a career for yourself. And we know that can change. Maybe, maybe it's your, your physical, physical fitness, right? Your diet, staying fit, that gives you comfort, that gives you stability. And you kind of look to that for, for security. And that's just a few. We can keep going. We can keep going down the line. But what we find about these things, and I love how David talks about finding rest in God alone, because in all these other places, there is no rest. In your social status, in possessions, all these other places, there's no true rest. Because if you're hoping in and finding your security there, you're going to continue to labor, to work, to worry, to attain a certain status, to keep yourself above water. And really, a lot of times you don't have near as much control as you actually think. He says, trust in God alone. And then back to verse eight, the last half of that, that line says, doesn't just say trust in him. He says, trust in him at all times. Trust in him at all times. And this is important because so often our resting in, our looking to, our hoping in and trusting in God depends on the situation that we find ourselves in. See, God isn't just somewhat worthy of our trust. We shouldn't just trust him some of the time or, or even just most of the time. But David calls us to, to trust in him all the time. He calls his people to trust in him in the midst of prosperity and in the midst of adversity. Calls them to hope in the Lord with constancy and courage. He doesn't want his people to praise loudly during joyous, prosperous times, only to turn around and let their heart fail when when difficulty arises. Nor, Nor does he want people just to get comfortable living in the joyous and prosperous times and then only turn to the Lord just to get you out of the difficult, sticky situation. David has suggested here that, that God is worthy of our trust all of the time. And this is where, for me personally, this is where these kind of texts, I think, get, get scary. Like For me, they, whenever I run across texts like this, I get nervous. I start to get scared because I start to, to think and wonder, what is God preparing me for? What's, what's he got coming down the line for me, you know, and, and as, as a, you know, as my wife and I were expecting our, our first child in October, um, praise God, 
uh, I've got a whole new set of situations that are now running through my mind. What's he preparing me for to walk through? But these texts should actually lead me to trust because it shows me that whatever it is, whatever is coming, I can trust and walk through it because of him. So he calls us to trust in him, whether we're in the midst of joy right now or tragedy, trust in him, whether your stocks and your investments have gone up or they've just tanked trust in him, whether your candidate just won an election or lost an election, trust in him, whether you just got laid off, you've just been promoted, trust in him, whether you're healthy enough to go skydive or the doctor just called you and said, Hey, come on back. We've got to run some tests because I think something might be serious. Whether you just had a healthy baby or you're walking through another miscarriage, trust in him. See, we know that life is difficult. Life is hard. We've experienced it. We see it. But we also know that we have a good God, a good God who is our refuge, our place of shelter. So we must trust in him in the midst of the hard and difficult parts of life. And David wraps up verse eight. He says, pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And this is that idea of of holding nothing back. Like in your your prayers, in your life, don't hold anything back from the Lord. Pour it all out to him because he is our refuge. He is our place of hope. He is our place of shelter. He is the only immovable and shakable figure place of hope for us. So look to him. And I think David explains this even deeper in verses 11 and 12. He says this in verses 11 and 12. God has spoken once. I've heard this twice. That's just him reiterating the certainty of what he's about to say. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each according to his works. He says that that true strength, true power that you might be looking to in your social status and in your career and your finances and possessions, that actually doesn't come from there. It actually comes from the Lord because it belongs to him. It's his. That steadfast, faithful, immovable, unshakable love that we so desperately want isn't going to come from friends, isn't going to come from possessions. It's the Lord's. You can only find it in him. And God possesses true wisdom, true knowledge, true justice to repay each according to his works. It's his. God alone has the power, the love, the wisdom, the justice to to be a stable and secure place of trust. And I think we can see this best at the cross of Christ, where where Jesus takes on the powers, the authorities. They, They lie, they deceive, they bless with their mouths, and inwardly they curse him. And it takes him to the cross where he perfectly trusts in the father. But at the cross, we see Jesus becoming the ultimate refuge, the ultimate place of trust and hope. See, right there, we see God's power, his love, his wisdom, his graciousness, mercy, all present there. As Jesus becomes the immovable, unshakable place of trust and hope. And that is the God that we seek to remember. That is the God that we seek to look to and know who he has been, what he has done and who he has promised to be. Where the world seeks possessions and power that that ultimately will just vanish. 
The cross of Christ is the eternal secure refuge for his people. The only eternally secure refuge for his people. In him, there is refuge, there is shelter, there is rest, true rest and deliverance. So let us remember him. Let us remember who he is, what he has done and who he has promised to be. And let us trust in him at all times. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what he's done um, in coming and becoming our ultimate refuge, our ultimate shelter and place of salvation. Um, Thank you again, Lord. And and it's in his, his name I pray. Amen.